For the benefit of those who haven't been here the last couple of weeks, Josh just concluded a two-lesson series on the book of Jude, which is, a, as, as, we've, as we discovered in, in following those two lessons, it's a challenging book. It, it's, a, it's a book that portrays a very difficult world that we live in and the challenge that all of us as disciples of Christ have of contending for the faith, which was uh, the theme of Josh's two lessons. But as I was sitting there uh, listening to those two lessons, and I was reading along in, in, uh, in the book of Jude as, as Josh was presenting it to us, there was a, a little portion at the end that just sort of leapt out to me, and these kind of things sort of happen to me oftentimes, uh, that we'll be... Uh, in the course of study, and there'll be something that just sort of leaps off the page at me and says, you know, there's, there's more that we could talk about relative to that. And I, I let Josh know that, that this week, in his absence, I was going to come back to the book of Jude and just talk about two of the concluding verses, sort of the, the summation that Jude presents at the very end of his letter. And we're going to look at that and and, and see the fact that in that summation, Jude has a, a, a mission, really, to put before us as Christians. And we're going to see what that mission is this morning relative to our relationship with the world. Go ahead to the first slide there, Jay. Those last couple of verses, actually it's not the last two verses, but almost the two concluding verses... Jude 22 and 23 read this way. Jude says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And to others, show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. When we look at those three statements in these two verses... One of the th things that we notice is that all three of those are, are commands. All three of those statements are directions. Be merciful, save others, show mercy. So all three of those things are things we're being told to do. But also notice that all three of those things are things we're being told to do in relationship to other people. And in each one of those cases... It's to a specific group of other people. So we have three responsibilities here and three groups of people to whom we have, a, have that responsibility. And we're going to look at what those responsibilities are and who those groups of people are as we go through the lesson this morning. The first thing that Jude says is be merciful to those who doubt. And when we think about that word doubt, it's a word that when we apply it to the, the practice of our faith, it's a word that makes us uncomfortable. Because on the one hand, it's hard to reconcile the concepts of faith and doubt. We remember James telling us in the first chapter of James, you know, if you're going to ask anything from the Lord, ask in faith and don't doubt. And there are other passages of scripture that we can point to that tell us not to be doubters. Amen. And yet, here we're being told 
that there is a group of people who doubt and that we are to be merciful toward them. What I want to suggest to you is that the group of people that James is talking about is not people who doubt the existence of God, which is one of the ways that we sometimes interpret that passage. You know, those who doubt, those who doubt God exist. It's not really what James is talking about here. James is talking about those who doubt their own faith, doubt whether they yet have faith or are struggling perhaps with aspects of the faith that they already have. And I want to suggest to you that every single one of us has been in that group. Every single one of us has had doubts. Every single one of us probably had doubts recently. It's not a distant thing for most of us. No matter how great, strong, and powerful our faith is, we are dishonest if we say we never have doubts. So we are all in that group of people who struggle with the faith that they have, who have doubts, who have questions, who have uncertainties. But Jude is telling us that when we look at people who are in that circumstance, who are having those struggles, our responsibility as fellow disciples to them is to be merciful. That is to say that our relationship with those who either are trying to get to faith or who are struggling with the faith that they have is not to be adversarial, but rather to be merciful. Because the temptation is for us oftentimes, when we see someone who either isn't yet at the goal of faith, or who is experiencing some areas of weakness in the faith they profess, the temptation for us is to want to say to them, why don't you just get it together? Why don't you straighten up and fly right? Why don't you banish these doubts and get on board? But that's not what Jude tells us to do. Jude says when you meet someone who's having struggles of doubt relative to faith, your responsibility to that person is to show mercy. And we can see examples of this in the life of Jesus, think about Jesus' interaction with the woman at Jacob's well. Here was a woman who had some measure of faith. She believed in some things, but there were many other things she didn't yet know and understand. And in fact, the pattern of her life, as Jesus revealed that pattern during the course of their conversation, demonstrated the fact that there were areas of her life that were not being governed by faith. But what Jesus does is not get all up in her grill about it. What Jesus does is shows her mercy and gives her the opportunity to learn and grow and change. And it's because of his gentleness with her, despite the fact of his knowing everything there was to know about her life, is that at the end of that story, what do we see? This woman going into town where she lived. 
and coming up to everybody that she met saying, I've met a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She had become a messenger of the gospel despite the weaknesses of her faith because Jesus took the time to show her mercy. We can even think about someone like Simon the Pharisee. You remember Simon was the rich man who invited Jesus over for dinner. And during the course of that dinner, a woman came in and brought some expensive ointment to anoint Jesus with. And it was a woman that Simon looked at and said, you know, this is not the kind of person I would normally invite over. This is not the kind of person I would normally have in my house. And Jesus responded to Simon's doubt by telling him a story. He said, Simon, let me, let me ask you a question. There, were, there was a man who had two debtors. One who owed him a great deal and one who owed him a significant amount, but a relatively, compared to the other man, small amount. And the man invited both of his debtors in and he forgave both of their debts. And Jesus said, Simon, who do you think was more grateful? And Simon said, well, I, I guess probably the one who was forgiven the most. And Jesus went on to point out the fact that here was a woman who whatever kind of life she had lived up to that point, was in this moment doing all that she could to glorify Jesus. And Simon learned a lesson where it would have been easy for Jesus just to rebuke Simon. Who are you to judge this woman? Who are you given your life to look down on this person? But instead, Jesus shows mercy. He gives Simon the opportunity to learn and to grow. And possibly to change. We don't know whether he did, but he had the chance. Because Jesus showed him mercy. That same Jesus who on the night of his betrayal would pray for his disciples even though he knew that in a very short time, all of them but one would abandon him. That one of his closest friends was going to sit outside at a fire and deny that he knew him. Not once, not twice, but three times. But we don't find Jesus yelling at them that night about the fact that they would desert him. We find Jesus praying for them. And the next day, when Jesus is on the cross, sacrificing his life for those who don't deserve it, he's not looking down at those below saying, curse you all to hell, but is instead saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Be merciful, Jude says, to those who doubt. 
Now this approach mirrors what Paul taught in Romans chapter 14. Notice what Paul says there at the beginning of the chapter. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their, to their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now here, Paul is making a point about matters of faith about which two people might disagree. Two brothers or sisters in Christ might disagree. And Paul says, don't let those things get in the way of your relationships with each other. One person's faith says, I can eat anything. Another person has doubts about some of the things that they might be offered to eat and says, no, I can only eat certain things. And Paul says, don't let those things separate you. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak. In other words, you see that person is struggling with doubts over some of these things. Don't allow that to separate you from them. Because you need them and they need you. He goes on to say, beginning at the next verse, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You know, there, there are fine points of living in faith about which good brothers and sisters may disagree. Paul says don't let those things get in the way of your relationships with each other. You need one another. Don't let those things separate you. If you have a conviction about something, go ahead, live that conviction. Don't judge your brother or sister because they don't share it. In fact, Paul concludes at the end of the chapter... Whatever you believe about these things, keep that between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So you see a brother or sister who has a doubt about some, some, some point of practice and they, they, they don't really know what to think or believe about that, or they have a conviction about that that you may understand based on your knowledge of the Word of God is a conviction they don't need to hold. But again, Paul says, let that be between you and God. 
Don't let those things separate you one from another. And that's exactly the same thing that Jude is saying when he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Don't allow their struggles, their doubts, their weaknesses of faith. Paul uses that word weak. To separate you from each other. Because they need you and you need them. And you need to be a strength and encouragement to each other. The second point that Jude makes is he says, save others by snatching them from the fire. And here he draws a contrast between those who are just struggling with the finer points of faith, as, as we've just illustrated, those who doubt, you know, who, who may have questions about certain things or wrestling with things that they don't yet understand, haven't yet worked through on their journey of faith. But instead, here Jude is talking about those who actually are in a dire situation, spiritually speaking, and may not see and understand it. Now, it's easy for us when we read this particular part of Jude's instruction to think that Jude is only talking about those who are still in the world. Those who are outside of Christ who need to be saved by snatching them from the fire. But I want to suggest to you that sure, that applies, but I don't think it's the primary application that Jude wants us to make. Paul confronting Peter in Galatians chapter 2 is an example of someone saving someone else by snatching them from the fire. You'll remember in that passage in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about the fact that he had to confront Peter to his face because Peter was exhibiting some hypocritical and prejudicial behavior. That Peter, who had always made it a practice of associating freely with both Jewish and Gentile brethren, when certain fellow disciples came from Jerusalem, Peter stopped associating with his Gentile brothers and sisters for fear of offending these brothers who had come out of the Jewish tradition and whom he thought might look down on him for associating with Gentiles. And Paul confronted Peter about that. Paul said, how can you, who, who preach that people are free from the law, try to now bind the law on others? How can you do that, Peter? How can you, who stood in, in, in front of a multitude of people and opened the, opened the gospel to the world, how can you, who went to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and said, truly, I perceive that, 
that God shows no partiality but accepts everyone who will come to him. How can you, Peter, who've done those things, now separate yourselves from brothers and sisters whose only difference is that they come from a different background than you? How can you do that? It's in, it's, it's in direct defiance of everything you've ever preached. See, the problem was Peter didn't see where he had gone. Peter didn't realize how dire his situation had become. If you would ask Peter, Peter, are you prejudiced? Peter would have said, of course I'm not prejudiced. But Peter, how come you're doing this? How come it's not okay to eat with your Gentile brothers and sisters when these Jewish brothers come to visit if you're not prejudiced? Peter didn't see. And Paul had to confront him. Paul had to snatch him from the fire that awaited him because of his own bigotry and his own hypocrisy. Peter wasn't some alien sinner out in the world. Peter was a fellow apostle. But he needed to be saved by being snatched from the fire. Another example of this. Think about Nathan, the prophet in the Old Testament. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Going into King David after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had engineered the murder of her husband in order that he could keep her for himself. And Nathan goes into David and says, King, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man who had flocks and herds of livestock for days who lived next door to a poor man who had one little ewe lamb, which wasn't even livestock to him. It lay at his chest at night. It was like a member of the family. And this rich man had... Some guests come over unexpectedly, stop by. And he wanted to go to throw them a feast. And rather than taking from his own flocks and herds to prepare the feast, he took the one little ewe lamb from the man next door who only had the one and had it slaughtered to feed his guests. Said, King, what would you think about a man like that and David was outraged <clears throat> David was furious that someone could be so heartless so cruel so unthinking to another person that he would take the one thing that was most precious to him when he had great wealth of his own, but would take from another the one thing that was most precious and ruin it, destroy it. 
David pronounced all manner of punishment and penalty that should befall the individual that did such a thing. And Nathan just let him go. Just let him talk. And when David finally shut up, Nathan looked him in the eye and said, you are that man. David realized suddenly the Rubicon he had crossed. The bridge too far that he had traveled. And if you want to read about how heartbroken he was, go read the 51st Psalm sometime. The Psalm that David wrote in the aftermath of that conversation with Nathan where David is just crushed by the realization of how wrong he had been. David was a good man. On the whole, God would describe him as a man after my own heart. But David needed to be snatched from the fire. And Nathan snatched him. And Jude's challenge to us is to be prepared to do that for one another. That saving someone by snatching them from the fire is not just trying to rescue the alien sinner who doesn't yet know the gospel of Christ, but means being willing to confront one another within the household of faith. When we see that a brother or sister is going down a desperately wrong road and may not even realize how wrong they're going to save them by snatching them from the fire as Paul snatched Peter and as Nathan snatched David. Finally, Jude says that we have a responsibility to others to show mercy mixed with fear. See, here's the sad reality. The sad reality is we can't rescue everybody. Because some people just don't want to be rescued. Some people, given every opportunity to be rescued, will refuse every chance. We still have to show them mercy. You may have someone close to you that you've Try everything you can to help them to see the light of Christ. And they just plain don't get it. Or might, even worse, be adamantly opposed to it. You still have the responsibility to show them mercy. But why does Jude say mixed with fear? Mercy mixed with fear. Because, see, here's the other sad reality. We are always in danger of falling into the same traps from which we would rescue others. You see somebody sinking in quicksand and you want to get them out. The temptation might be to dive in and try to swim out with them. And what happens if you do that? Both of you drown in quicksand. 
We have to constantly be aware that even in our efforts to save others, that we don't get caught up in the very thing that's destroying them and be destroyed also thereby. Mercy mixed with fear. But we still have to focus on that showing of mercy. And to recognize that no matter how much another person may refuse to see and accept the grace of God, we still have an ongoing responsibility to be the avatar of God's mercy toward them. Whether they want to see it, whether they want to believe it, whether they want to accept it or not. And in fact, Jude adds another layer to that fear. He talks about hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, if there's any passage of scripture that illustrates the principle of hate the sin but love the sinner, this is, this is one of those. It's okay for us to look at the things that are destroying someone else's life and hate those things that are causing that destruction without hating the person because they need to see mercy. They need to see love. They need to see compassion. See, the thing is, people will cover themselves with things that God despises. But God despises no person. The people at the foot of the cross were covering their hands with the blood of the Son of God. And yet he still said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And that challenge is ever before us we might see others doing all manner of things that we know that God detests those things that they're doing. But we must never lose sight of the fact that God loves them. And the only way that they are going to see that God loves them is if we love them and show them his love by our actions and our attitudes towards them. And we might say, well, how can I do that? Because what that person is doing means they are worthy of destruction. Well, remember the definition of mercy. Mercy is God giving us not what we deserve, but refusing to give us what we deserve. And we must illustrate that principle in our interactions with others. We might think that person deserves to be scorned, to be shunned, to be rejected. Maybe even we might think they deserve to be mocked and humiliated because of what they're doing. That is not mercy. Mercy is not giving that person what we might think they deserve. And to remember that that is how God treats us. 
Because I can't speak to your life. I can only speak to my own. And I am thankful that God does not give me what I deserve. And if all of us are honest, we can all make that statement, can't we? And therefore, we have to treat everyone that we encounter with that same attitude. We might think they deserve rejection. And maybe they've covered themselves with things that of themselves do deserve to be rejected. But not the person inside the clothes. That person needs mercy needs love, needs compassion. And the only way they're going to see it is if we show it. Amen. This is exactly the thing that Paul was talking about. All of these things that Jude has expressed, these three challenges he's put before us, are summarized in the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, when he says, Though I am free, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul understood, perhaps better than anyone based on his own life experience, that everybody's journey is different. And that everybody's place on the journey is not the same. There was a time when we would have looked at Saul of Tarsus and said, there's a man who's beyond hope. And yet God took that man who imprisoned disciples, who stood giving his approval as disciples were being murdered, who went to foreign cities and wrapped chains around disciples and dragged them back to Jerusalem that they might be punished. That same Saul of Tarsus is this man who was doing everything that he could for the sake of the same gospel that he, was, that he had once persecuted. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's at a different place on the journey. We don't know where someone else is headed. And therefore, our best strategy is to try 
and see people where they are. And show them mercy in whatever circumstance. If they're struggling with with the points of their faith, be merciful. We don't have to win every argument. If they need to be confronted, confront them, but do it in a way that helps guide them to, to, to the error, see the error of their way and to change. Not that pushes them away even further. Because when Paul confronted Peter, he didn't say, Peter, I don't want you ever want to see you again. Nathan didn't end his story to David by saying, King, you're going to hell. Both of them confronted but opened a door for repentance by showing here's where you are, here's where you need to be. And finally, when we, when we see those who just utterly refuse to accept the grace of God, we still have to show them mercy because that person that today we might look at and say that person's beyond hope. That person might be Saul of Tarsus. Then a few years from now, might be someone whose faith we admire and look up to. We don't know. We don't know what that person's journey is going to be. So in this day, this hour, this moment, we just need to show them love. Show them mercy. Show them compassion. Because we don't know where they're going. And we might be wrong about where we think they are. Our relationship with the world, Jude says, is to be characterized by mercy. To be merciful to those who doubt. To show mercy to those who are in trouble by snatching them from the fire. And to show mercy even to those who are covered with corruption. Because in us they may yet see Christ and may still find their way to Him if we give them the opportunity by showing them mercy, even as God has shown us. As you go back to week this week, recognize everybody that you meet is in a different place. Try to see every person, not where you think they should be, because that's the easy thing. But see them where they are. And if you can help, help. And if you can't help, still show mercy. Because there may come a time when they'll accept help. You just don't know when that day might be. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing a song that Nathaniel has chosen to encourage us. As you go about your week this week, let that word mercy be the word that guides and directs you in all of your interactions with others because everybody you see, everybody you meet, everybody you know needs the mercy of God and they need to see it first from you. <laughs>